Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Aaron, how are you, my friend? Doing awesome. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. I don't think that there's anyone I've met in my existence that has double braided beard. So you are very special for that. That's number one. <laughs> you got to watch a Vikings episode or something like that to see any of that kind of stuff. I don't know. Well, not only does there not people walking around like that, but there are definitely not people in the banking investment banking industry walking around like that. Which I love. And you're such a badass in the industry. I'm like, I can't wait to get into your story. Aaron. I was just saying, I was like, man, we got connected through this in a different way, but we know each other through family. So yep. it's like, it's super cool. I but love the interesting this. Interesting is how many places we do know each other from, but it takes a, a third party to put us together on the right track. It happens sometimes, you know, it's so interesting how the life works, but then we meet and we're like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm so excited to hear your story. Aaron. You are just like awesome sauce. And I just, I was like, I've always been interested to know you're in the top 1% of mortgage originators. Like you're just a beast. So I would love to know. And I start this off with the most loaded question possible. Always what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Wow. Inspired is a really interesting word to use. I was at an event where they had a keynote speaker where he talked about his time in the mortgage industry before the crash. And he said he got in the mortgage industry to begin with because he couldn't get a job in any other place. And I'm like, that is such a true statement. So going back to how I got into it is really not an inspiration whatsoever. I mean, I started off life, you know, uh, my high school years was on a cattle ranch in, in central Utah. What I loved about it, right, is a simple business plan, right? When you're talking about agriculture and cattle, and we're running about 500 head of beef cattle every year, and you had to work your ass off. And then going to high school at the same time, and then trying to have a social life was really difficult. What I found is I had to find something had to give here. And what gave was my attention to detail at school. So I found that when you learn how to pick locks, you can pretty much accomplish anything at school without having to waste a bunch of time. So- I created more of a business, if you will, plus a way of being able to shortcut things by being able to find where they kept the tests and I could get through that door. And I found ways to be able to get into the school, do what I need to do, get the code to the copier, shrink it down. People would do my homework for me for for test answer keys. I could get people to be sure that my attendance showed I was there. I can trade for anything and I could sell and do whatever and did really, really well. And I did awesome at being able to engineer a C to get through high school. And then I left halfway through my senior year to go work in the oil fields of Wyoming. And that was a whole other thing to to be out there in the oil fields with people that you barely got to know you're in a harsh environment because Wyoming's not, I mean, the wintertime, that sucked. But you learn a lot about people. I got to learn the dynamics between the the people doing the work and the people that were creating the work. And uh, you start to learn a lot about human dynamics and business there. And then from there, I went back to running heavy equipment, driving truck. And then I found myself working in the mines in northern New Mexico in 1997 with my pop, which I thought was one of the coolest things ever. They sold the cattle ranch in 95. He went back to mining. And here I was underground with my pop, I think close to 700 feet. 
You're running a drill machine, which weighs about 160 pounds. You got to manhandle that. You run about probably about 100 to 150 pounds of explosives each day to blow up the area where you're at, clean it all out, support the ground, do it again. It was awesome. I loved the job. But then they shut down because it was, you know, they're running out of the, the material was not so plentiful. So it wasn't cost effective to keep the project going. So I got laid off, came back to Arizona late 97, thinking this is going to be easy. I've got a long resume. I can get any job anywhere. But because of my resume it was was what made it so difficult to get a job. I was overqualified, according to everybody I talked to for every job I applied for. So here I am, 23 years old. I've got a wife. I've got an infant son who is not even about six months old. And I couldn't find a job to save my life. And it got to a point that was so dire that I was willing to go to a landscape company in Phoenix to get a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape rock to the sites that they were you know, putting in new landscape. And they turned me down. So I walked out of that general manager's office into my truck. And I remember wiping away tears because I'm like, I can't even afford diapers. So I had a, a coupon for free diapers that my wife gave me that morning because we needed something for the kid. We were out. I couldn't, we, we didn't have enough money in the account to even buy any. So luckily we got that coupon. So as I'm leaving that place and head to the grocery store on my way home, my gas light comes on on my truck. I had never driven it long enough to see how long I could go with the gas light on. So I figured I better find a grocery store and I better find a gas station. So I found that gas station. I pulled up to a pump and it happened to be in the parking lot of a grocery store. I only had a debit card with me. So I swiped it and I prayed for it to go through and I got a decline. So I rifled through my truck looking for a lost dollar, hopefully. And I found a few coins. I locked the door. I started walking, walking that parking lot. What seemed like a couple of hours, collecting everything I could find, right? It'd be a nickel, a dime, a penny, you know, and I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but to look around and make sure nobody's looking at you. I mean, people pick up stuff all the time. But I didn't want anybody seeing me pick it up because of the situation I was in. I pick it up quickly and put it in my pocket. And after a couple of hours, I was able to trade my two hours of my life for two gallons of gas. Luckily, it's 90, was it 97? People still carried change back then. And a couple of gallons of gas was like a dollar. I mean, it was under two bucks. I got my gas. I went into the grocery store. I found my diapers. I stood in line with the one item. Again, more insult to my injuries. And I had a coupon for the one item. I hurried up and exchanged it and I got out of there. As I'm leaving, keeping my head down, not making eye contact, I heard my name being yelled from right over by the customer service counter. So I turned to face a guy that I did business with. I mean, he ran the office at a place I used to run heavy equipment for when I dug, dug swimming pools about a year before. He asked me how things were and I related the exact same story. He said, let's go to dinner. I'm like, dude, I can't afford dinner. He goes, no, I got a gift certificate to Red Lobster. Let me take you to Red Lobster. So me and my wife went to Red Lobster with him a few days later, and he told me about the mortgage industry. So I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about that. I've seen the shows on TV where the old man, the old lady are losing the farm, this thing called the mortgage. So it doesn't sound like a good business to be in. He goes, no, he goes, it's, he goes, you'll figure it out. I said, dude, do you know my history? I cheated my ass off to get that C in high school. I don't know that I'm going to do well with the math associated with it. He goes, it's all about people. Because if you're good with people, you will succeed. So I went ahead. And I called the number on a business card he gave me. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some business-like clothes. And I started that next week as a telemarketer in December of 1997. Wow. Oh, my gosh, Aaron. That is quite a story leading up to that. That's insane. And like going from cattle to mining to digging swimming pools and then to that moment. I love. I was like envisioning the entire thing as you were describing it. That is super powerful. And you just got a dinner to Red Lobster and that changed it all. 
that changed it all. And it wasn't like it's just like an easy, oh, bam, now you're in the mortgage, no. you're wealthy, right? You start as a telemarketer, which is its own special kind of hell. So then you start to learn the <laughs> lingo, right? Well, after I think I generated like 10 leads and I went and I talked to the boss, like, hey, dude, let me work some of these. And I convinced him to let me work some of them. You know, and that was 25 years ago. And the, the statistics just came out in this last week. I'm ranked number seven in the United States of 1.4 million people that do my job. Wow. So That's to come from dead ass broke 25 years ago, walking a parking lot for change to rank number seven in an industry of 1.4 million people. And, and, and it's not like it's been an easy industry, right? It's, you take a beating after a beating after a beating. You got the, the crashes of, of, in the markets. And then not only was the crash of 2008 that just took everything from me and destroyed my business. I got in a motorcycle accident August 8th of 2008. I woke up in the hospital, the inability to use my legs and a memory that would, that would reset every three minutes. So wow. when I came back from that, it was, you know, I built was a decent business. Now it all obliterated and all the people I was doing business with were out of the industry and I couldn't walk and I couldn't remember. And so it was rebuild all of that and then come back into a, a changed environment and have to rebuild a bit. And what I found is the more, the bigger the beating you take, the bigger the opportunity you have in front of you. And too often people will shy away from the beating and not go headlong into it and figure, okay, what, what did I just learn from this? I like to say that there's this big ominous foot that wakes up every day and just kicks your ass all day long. If you wake up to wake up after the foot does, you just get up before the foot does. My foot wakes up at 7:30 in the morning. I get up at 4:30, so I have three hours advanced run on that some bitch. He will still catch me on occasion, as we know. And when I get caught, as long as I bounce and I get right back up, I'm far ahead. And I keep learning from the beatings that I've taken in life. And doesn't mean there ain't more coming. And that's the suck part of it. And I don't care how many beatings you've taken, there's more coming, but you're going to have thicker hide to take a lot more of a beating and be able to do more with it. Because if I took the beating that I took in 2008, back in 1997, I wouldn't have survived it. But I did the 97 beating, right? And I crawled through that, got to the 2008 beating. I took that beating, crawled through that and rebuilt it. 2015 came along. I'd merged with another, with a partner. And we were doing very well. And he yanked the rug out from underneath me six months later. And I had to start over at zero again. But what was awesome about that start over is he gave me so much insight. I learned so much from that partnership that got fragmented so quickly that I was able to rebuild from zero and be in the top 10 in my in the firm I was with within six months and in the top 10, 1% of the industry within a year because of the advanced knowledge I got from the blessing of an ass whooping. Blessing of an ass whooping. I love You've got an underdog story. If I could pinpoint it, like this, this is it. Like, holy crap, Aaron. Like that is incredible. To get to the top 1% is a huge ordeal. And to stay there, you know, I want, once one of my mentors told me, he's like, Pam, you know, it's one thing to get to the top, but it's another to stay there. Right. Yes. And that was going to be part of the next thought process of everybody talks about it must be nice to get there. But guys, you have no idea how miserable it is to stay there because it's one thing when you're calling up there, nobody really pays attention to you. There's a lot of people like, ah, they don't give you a lot of value as you're climbing up there. But once you get there, like, all right, we're going after that some bitch. And how do we take him out? And so now you got everybody targeting you. And I think the reason that it makes it, not say easier, easier is a wrong word to say. The reason why I think that one of the reasons I've been able to maintain my position in that is trying to be, not even trying to be, just allowing myself to be who I am and as unique as possible in my space. 
there came a point. You we both know Ron Phillips, right? Yep. Okay, so I referenced the 2008 uh, motorcycle accident. I couldn't grow a full beard before that accident. I had a patch right here that would not fill in. That part side of my face just went skidding across the pavement. So when I woke up in the hospital, I had a full beard. I'm like, shit, yeah, I'm not going to shave it till I learned how to walk again. I wouldn't even trim it. It got about three inches long when I took my first step, and I maintained that length of beard all the time. I'd always just keep it trimmed at that point. Well, Ron and I met at a at a mastermind meeting in 2016, late 2016. He walks in. He's like, my beard was longer than yours yesterday. I'm like, mine was longer than mine yesterday. I'm like, here's the deal. I won't shave. I won't trim it till I see you again. Now, we would see each other every three to six months. I didn't see that bitch for five years, five freaking years. It got all the way down to my waistline. I would have to do this. I'd raise my head up just to buckle my belt because it get wrapped up in that. And I finally got a hold of Ron. Like, dude, I know you guys are all settled down in the South and you love being there and not traveling, but can you get on my YouTube show? He goes, why is that? I said, I need to cut my damn beard. It's like, what are you talking about? You don't remember in Tampa, 2016, you came in. I, I re relayed the story. He goes, I kind of remember that. He goes, but I don't remember you saying that. I said, well, I remember saying it. And what I've done is I have walked around with my commitment on my face and it's about damn time I cut it. So I took my knife out and I hacked that thing off. Well, half of it off in that conversation. It's grown a lot back since then, but it's become a brand and I can't get rid of it now because it has now everybody knows me with that long braided beard. And I'm the only person in my industry that can walk into a room full of producers and CEOs and bankers, all in suits and in walks this redneck in a camo hat and a t-shirt and a pair, pair of QU pants or whatever and a braided beard and nobody gives me shit because they know the history behind it. That is so awesome. And like, it, you know, what's cool is it's authentically you, which I love. And like, you're so proud to show that. And that is freaking awesome. Cause this is an industry that is known, you know, as you know, what I like to call them finance bros, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like the suits, the, this, the, that there's a certain persona. Right. And then like Aaron walks into a room and you're just like, what's up, man? Like, <laughs> I'm just chilling. Well, there's that time that, you know, mom bought me those, those business-like clothes. And I tried to look the part. I remember there were so many guys when I first got started telling you, you dress like this, you look like this, you talk like this and don't scratch your balls in front of people. And yeah, just telling you all the way how to, how to act, how to do. Right. But then they all start falling away from the business. They're the ones who are the ones who told me how I had to act and how to be and how to dress, but yet they're not here anymore. And I'm left by myself. Mm. I also noticed that the more I looked like them, when I would see people face to face, I could have a conversation with the person over the phone and be as authentic as possible. But the second we got face to face, I actually struggled to keep clients in the face to face environment because they could see people can they can tell bullshit and they yes. could see that I was lying to them with my appearance. So I started adjusting that look after that crash of 2008, just a little bit more and a little bit more. And it was 2014. I was walking along uh, a very close, close friend of mine owns a large insurance firm here. We'd have dinner with our spouses and we're walking down the street one night and he had his arm. He just puts his arm around me and pulls close. And he says, dude, I'm going to make you successful. I'm like, awesome. You know, this is not long after my accident. I'm coming back. I'm starting to make six figures a year. I'm just barely getting in there. He says, but, but one, he goes, I'm going to make sure that everybody who we deal with in the real estate space knows Aaron Chapman's name. I'm like, awesome, man. I appreciate that. And he goes, but you just got to do one thing. I'm like, well, what's that? He says, you got to conform more. So I stopped. I'm like, conform. What, what do you mean? So at the time I had a trimmed beard, right? My head was shaved and I would, I would wear all black. I wear a black button up shirt and black pants and boots, uh, like motorcycle boots. And he says, you got to shave, get some suits, 
you know, and he starts just describing himself. And it's like, so what you're saying is if I'm going to be represented by your brand, I have to represent your brand, right? He goes, yes. He goes, that's how all my, all my staff is. All my agents are this way. This is the brand that we have. So it's, and I got thinking about that. This guy has a very successful individual, has a very successful business. He's tied very deep in the real estate community in Arizona. And I said, Jack, I love you, but fuck you. <laughs> and, and I thanked him for this. And I said, I can't compromise me for anything. And then I realized, I said, this was, and then I thanked him again. Cause like, dude, really, he was rescuing me and pointing me out that I was straddling two sides of the line. There's a line drawn there that I was walking one foot, trying to be semi-business-like with the, with the slacks and with the black, with the black shirt and the trim beard. And then on the other side of it, I was trying to be a little bit more me by even having the boots and the beard and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I've got to make a decision. Either I'm going to go full business, like what Jack has requested. I'm going to go full Aaron Chapman. So I decided to go full Aaron Chapman at that point. And I ditched all that crap and I created my own brand. And within that brand creation, I didn't realize I was creating a brand. It's like, I was just done trying to conform at all. And then um, I started, uh, that's when the hat ended up popping up on my head and ended up becoming part of that brand. And ever since, in fact, Jack called me one time I hit that top 1%. He saw me in the top 20 in my space. And this was probably about, I'd say four years ago, he called me up. He goes, dude, and he's screaming in the phone. He's one of the loudest guys you ever met. It's like, dude, I just saw the numbers. You're so awesome. I said, like, I got you to thank for that. He goes, me? What do you mean me? I said, remember that night when we're walking down the street and you said, you got to come for more? He goes, yeah. I said, you put me a decision, man. You pointed out where I was making mistakes and it made me make that decision. Had I not done that, had you not had that conversation, I may not be here. In fact, looking back on all the things we talked about, had I not, had I gotten one of those jobs that I'd applied for, that I was supposedly overqualified for, I might not be here. Had people drop more change than what they did. Had I got my, my $2 of get two gallons of gas and change faster. I wouldn't have seen Keith. Had I been out there longer, less people drop change. It took me longer to find that change. I wouldn't have seen Keith. It was all just lined up for the perfect moments for all these things. And I got to thinking about that. I remember that prayer that I said, when I, when I swiped that debit card, had it been answered in the way I requested, I would not be here. The prayer was answered in a way I didn't request for. So here we sit. I would not be right now talking to people about what goes on in life and all the ass weapons that you're going to take that's going to create that success for you had I not taken some of these beads or have my prayers answered in ways that I didn't anticipate. Amen to that, Aaron. I mean, sometimes we look at things and we're like, why the heck did this happen? Like, for example, like when I would look back at my restaurants, I'm like, oh, that was such a like, damn it, <laughs> damn it. And then I think about it, I'm like, well, without that, I wouldn't be in real estate. Like it wouldn't have pushed me the way that, you know? So it's, it's interesting how these hidden blessings happen in your life, but you don't realize them until later, right? Like you said, like every single area, every single element, every single situation with you, you wouldn't have met Keith that night, right? Yep, when you, when you look back and how it stacks up over such a long period of time, the other thing I believe that we, we do lack a lot in the world right now is definitely patience. Had yeah. I understood the need for that debit card to not work, how much would have changed? Would have changed anything? I don't know. But look how long, the, how much patience that took. That was 1997. I did not achieve that 1% position, that top 1% till 2016. Look at the length of time that that took. And it was from that debit card not working to 2016 
you know, nearly 20 years had gone by, it's 19 years before the realization of the power behind that one oddly answered prayer. So patience is something that I think we all have failed to really exercise properly. And as a result of that, we actually probably stifle the blessings that could be coming because we're so busy churning for them that what we believe the blessing should be that we are pushing away all these other great opportunities, all these other great things. You know, there was one, one of these opportunities I had a, a good friend of mine, Joel, we we're out goofing off. We went to dinner one night and then went to something called the air sex championship. I've never heard. I don't know if, if you ever heard what? of this. <laughs> <laughs> We took our spouses out and it's a whole interesting story how I got to know him, but, and we heard about this. So I checked it out. So, you know, air, like air guitar, somebody pretending to play the guitar. Well, people were pretending on stage to be having sex and it was, they picked the music and they get on stage and they pretend it was, it was the funniest thing you've ever seen. It was like going to karaoke, but not karaoke. So, oh <laughs> so we went there and after this thing, he tells me, dude, I'm making this, I'm making the deal happen. I'm working it out with the details right now, but when I'm done with it, it's going to change your life. I'm like, how's it going to change my life? Because just trust me, it's going to change your life. I'm like, okay, I trust you. And then as we parted ways, he's walking towards the parking lot where his car is. I'm walking to the parking lot where mine is. He turns around, raises his arms all the way up there. He goes, I'm going to change your life. And he screams it. I'm like, I have no idea how he's going to do this. Well, it turns out he bought one of the largest real estate firms here in Arizona. And they had already made a deal with a lending company to be their premier lender. Well, he had their executives reach out to me to come work for them and potentially be the guy who works with his, his real estate group. So they asked me to, I went through the background checks and all the stuff to, to get to, to start interviewing with these guys. And then they wanted me to come meet the CEO. And they said, well, you can't meet the CEO until you do this one exercise. And then we want to know what you're going to do with the next five years of your life. I'm like, I don't know. What am I do in the next five years of your life? This is 2014. Who the hell knows what I'm going to do? They showed me this exercise with these bullet points that this guy had written out. So I decided, okay, fine. I'll write this crap just for the sake of going up there and possibly getting this life-changing job. And I wrote this, this letter to me five years in the future of everything that I had accomplished in great detail while I was sitting on a rock overlooking the landscape along the Rubicon Trail with my Jeep. And I made it to where I could see it, I could smell it, I could taste it, I could hear the sounds around me as if I was really there and described my life and what I had accomplished. And you know, in that five years, I accomplished everything that I'd written down and then some, wow. but yet I never went to work for that company. I never did business with my friend, Joel. He thought he was going to change my life by going to work for this company and then do business with him. We've never done a single deal together with his company and my company, but he did change my life and my ability to create my future. So with that same thing, I was coming into 2017. I closed 300 and some transactions in 2016. I'm like, I want to double it. Well, this whole writing things down thing seems to work. So let's see what I can do with 2017. And I just closed on some two lots in, in the Ozarks of Northern uh, Arkansas. So I thought, hmm, I'll put myself in that sitting. Uh, like I'm, I'm going to build my house in the Ozarks. So I wrote it down that I'm sitting in my rocking chair on my porch overlooking the Ozark mountain landscape, thinking back on 2017 and those 600 transactions I closed. Well, then within about a week or so, I get a call from my, uh, one of the executives of my company say, how is important that, how important is the state of Missouri to you? I'm like, I don't know. Let me look. I said, well, it's 12% of my, my pipeline. I guess it's pretty important. Why? He goes, well, we just lost our brick and mortar there. So you have 19 days to close all the transactions you have in that state because your license won't be active anymore until we get another licensed person that lives in the state and can open up an office. I'm like, what are you doing to solve the problem? He goes, oh, we're going to put an ad on Facebook and maybe Monster and see what we get. I'm like, 
dude, can I solve the problem? He goes, well, how are you going to solve it? So my sister lives in Missouri. She used to work for me years back at Countrywide. Let me see if she's, she wants to do this. So I called her up. She answers. I said, it's like, Hey, you want to get licensed? She goes, I haven't talked to you in six months. And the first thing you ask is, do you want to get licensed? I'm like, is that a problem? (laughs) At that point, she pauses and she starts to choke up. She goes, I just lost my job. My husband's salary just covers our bills and just gives us a little bit extra. And we were talking about last night and he says, why don't you call your brother? And here you are calling me. Wow. I'm like, so that's a yes, right? She goes, I didn't really, I was so focused. I wasn't even paying attention to the gravity of the question. Or the, the statement. She goes, uh, she goes, of course it's yes. I'm like, cool. I'm going to have these guys contact you. They're going to get you the education you need. Then you can go take the licensing exam. We'll get this all handled. And I can keep my business going. Well, we kept that moving, kept her going. Everything was working. And then the day of the test comes along. And I've got people calling me saying, is she passed? Is she passed? We've got to get these loans closed. I'm like, I don't know. She'll call me shortly. Well, then her, her number pops up my phone. And I answer it just finally, right? And she's bawling. She had missed it by one question. The problem is in the, the, real, the, the mortgage licensing process, if you miss it, you have to wait 30 days to take it again. So as she's crying, she says, uh, I'm sorry, I can't believe I let you down. So don't worry about it. Change focus. I'm going to be, I'm moving to Missouri. I'll be there on Thursday. It's like, what do you mean? I said, my family's staying in Arizona. I'm becoming a Missourian. Find me everything I can buy that I can lease or lease. That's commercial. So I can transfer my licenses. I'll be there Thursday. We get there. I roll up to her house. She comes out, come beat the kids. I'm like, no, get your ass in the car. We're going to figure this out first. There's two kids she had I had not met yet, but get in here. Let's go. <laughs> finally settled it out. I made a deal on a little office with a, within the city building somewhere. And I was relaxed. And then she took me by this little place along what's called Fall Creek Road. These two little cabins built in the 1800s. One used to be a chapel and one was a paint studio for the pastor back in the 60s. And they were overgrown with vines. You could barely see them for the road, but I walked through them. Like, These things are awesome. I made a deal with the realtor. We ended up getting the seller to carry that note. I bought those places. And now they were commercial. I could literally move my business there. So I came back a week later to meet with the contractor, see what it's going to take to rehab this place. And as I walked down from the, ste- from the street on the steps to this deck between these two cabins, there's a rocking chair sitting on the porch. I'm like, Sweet. I got a rocking chair. Whenever I started rocking on this chair and then it hit me, I'm like, wait a minute. I pulled out of my backpack, my notepad. And it said, I'm sitting in my chair, my rocking chair on my porch, overlooking the Ozark mountain landscape, thinking back on 2017. I'm like, I wrote this two months and two days before. And I was thinking about the Ozarks of Northern Arkansas. I'm in the Ozarks of Southern Missouri. And just then when that hit me, my sister pulls up and I said, and she's like, you weren't supposed to see that yet. I'm like, how did this get here? Because your wife called last week and said, make sure a rocking chair is waiting for him when he gets there. Wow. So the reason I share that is you're going to get your ass whooped. Things are going to happen, but you have the capability to create what you want, but you got to be careful with who you share it with. There's a lot of people out there that want to stop your progress and do everything they can to hurt you. But there's other people that will make sure that the little details are handled. So you got to be sure you have the right people in your life because that little detail, I wouldn't have thought about that rocking chair. But that rocking chair right there solidified everything I needed to have happen in my world to make me know that I was on the right track, even though I went through hell with this mm-hmm. license. Incidentally, I didn't get end up transferring my licenses. I had to wait on her, but it told me I was on the right track. And that year, I closed 678 transactions. That wow. year. So I, I exceeded my goal more than double what I was anticipating. So 
the whole thing that I just keep telling everybody, you just can't stop. You got to keep going. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep looking for something more and you'll accomplish every damn thing you want if you're focused enough. Amen. I love that. Like those little details, like the rocking chair, like that is a thousand percent. That is a thousand percent. Like as you like, I, I love your stories, Aaron, so much. I'm like getting lost in all of them. I'm like an Aaron just like run this whole thing like right now. <laughs> It's just beautiful. No, because it, it, it shows you the power of visualization. And a lot of people really underestimate, you know, when they're like, oh, manifesto, like, what the hell is that? I have to be sitting in meditation and do all these things. No, no, it's a simple thing of closing your eyes and really envisioning, like, what do you see? Like, when you ask yourself, where do you want to be in five years? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Like, where are you? Who are you with? You love, you know, like, all the, what are the colors? Like, describe it all, right? And then, like, ironically, I've had many moments in my life where, I've mapped it out and I've seen it. And then like, it comes full circle. And now you're just like, it's like this weird experience that you're like, did that just happen? Like, I've seen this before. Like, here it goes again, right? Just the coolest thing in the world. It's the coolest well, thing. It's possible for you to end up at any destination whatsoever if you'd never even decided what the destination might be. If all you're doing is yeah. just saying, okay, I'm gonna take a left turn here. Then I'm gonna take a right turn here. I'm gonna go straight here. I'm gonna turn around and go right here. You end up just wandering aimlessly. You've got to yeah. create some sort of semblance of a destination before you're going to get there. Now, how you get there sometimes is dictated by different turns and twists in the road that you're not aware of. But then eventually one day you stand up like, holy crap, I'm here. And this is way better than I thought it would be. Hell. And you come to find out, it's like, okay, um, I accomplished it. I'm in ranked in the top, whatever. I'm a millionaire. And it's actually just feels like Tuesday. So now I got to do something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what happened to me. That's what I was mentioning earlier. Like when I when I hit my huge year, it was like it was like okay, uh, that's great. And I had that little God tap. That's like, hey Pam, you know, you're doing great things for yourself. What are you doing for the world? And that's when the concept of this podcast really started coming out. You know, like the passion and all that stuff. It really just makes you question. All right, like what's next and what's really important, right? I just. I love it, Aaron. I love it. And I mean, I love that you went from literally like mining and cattle to where you are today. Like that's absolutely insane. And getting into the mortgage industry, which was something that's polar opposite from anything that you've ever known. Like what were some things that you did that helped elevate you? And what helped shape your mindset at that time? Because that is not easy to do, to go from something that's totally opposite to where you were you know, just for anybody who is having that kind of mindset, like, Ugh, and maybe some tips and strategies that you took kind of moving forward. I think the best tip I can give anybody is be willing to ask why all the time. Mm -hmm. And then ask what, you know, why and what? Well, like, like the, the two biggest questions I have is like, what is it, what does it take to accomplish this? Or what does it take to do this deal? And some tells you, you know, well, you can't do it because of this, and this. Well, why is that? I asked why a lot. In fact, it reminds me of a situation when it was 2000, had to be 2012 or 13, I think it was, maybe it was, yeah, I think it's 12. I had a client, he was a, he ran a team for Microsoft. So this guy made really good money, you know, and he had almost a million dollars in bank accounts. So worth plenty of capital. And he was trying to buy multiple properties at once. I think it was like three or four properties all at the same time. Well, I had these underwriters within this bank tell me we couldn't do that loan because he was buying too many too fast. They called it rapid acquisition. I'm like, that's not a thing. So I said, well, it was a thing at one point, but it's for a thing for like a guy who was like a drove a cement mixer. And his parents died and left a million dollars. He doesn't know how to handle a million dollars. You don't let him go too quickly and crush himself. But this guy runs a team at Microsoft. He has, he's worth millions. He built those millions. He runs this team. He understands this. 
He understands what he's getting. So that doesn't, and there's no guideline that says this in our book anywhere, but they would fight with me on it. And then they finally just, they withdrew the files. They didn't even decline the files. They withdrew them. Withdraw means that the client said, I'm no longer working with you. So I called him up and said, dude, I told you I'm working on this. You didn't need to withdraw. He goes, I didn't withdraw. So you didn't? He goes, no. Well, let me look at this. So I went and figured out it was the head underwriter at corporate that did this crap because they didn't want to do the deals. So I was pissed. I want to go talk to these people. And so on my way to my office, I stopped at a Walgreens. I couldn't even think straight. I needed something to drink. I had cotton mouth. I'm walking through there and I was aimlessly wandering instead of going over to the little cooler and just grabbing an iced tea. And I started seeing things on the shelf that kind of like glowed on the shelf. So I started grabbing these things off the shelves at the same time to grab my iced tea. And as I'm walking on, I paint for stuff. I asked him, do you have a brown paper bag? Like, yeah, we have some brown paper bags. So I took two of them. I stuffed all this stuff in the brown paper bag. I stopped by my office. I got the guideline manual. I put that in there and I went and saw uh, the executive who, or the, the supervisor manager who was kind of stopping me from connecting with these people and raising hell about it. I walked right into her office with this bag and I set it right on her desk. She goes, what is that? And I didn't say anything. I opened it up. I pulled out a roll of duct tape. Then I pulled out a razor knife. Then I pulled out a Zippo. Then I pulled out a bottle of Jim Beam and I pulled out two condoms and then the guideline manual. She goes, what are you doing with all that? And I said, we're going to figure out this deal using one of these items. I'm going to let you pick. Oh my gosh. Of course, she chose the guideline manual and we could prove there was, they had no basis for what they were doing. And then within four hours, I got an approval on that loan. And the reason I got the approval is because I didn't just accept their answers. I'm like, you've got to show me why. Why is it you believe that what you're doing is accurate here when there's nothing out there that proves you were right? So, and then you have to go in a way that people aren't thinking. We've all heard of pattern interrupt. We've all heard of the David Sandler sales method or pattern. I One, I try and be my own pattern interrupt just by how I look, how I talk, how I act. But I need to interrupt the pattern even more in this scenario by taking all these things. So, in that respect, I tell people, you've got to come at things from all kinds of different angles. You can't go head on to everything. You've got to ask a lot of questions. You've got to understand the reason to be why is even created. Why did they even say you have to do it this way? That's the benefit that I have from not even really having an education. I've had a lot of people ask me where I got my degree. I don't have one, right? And like I said, I barely, I, I engineered a C in high school. We've had that story already. And it's because nobody ever says to me, they, they can't tell me that the methods have to be done this way. There's got to be a, another way to do it and do it where it's legal. I'm not saying that we, you know, I'm not saying that we do anything fraudulent or whatever in my industry. We do, we find a way to be able to get inside the minds of all the people we're working with to really understand why do you see it the way you're seeing it? Why can't you see it from these other angles? And what other angles are we not looking at? By the right. time we're done with it, we find ways to make things work. And that's where my successes really come is not being pushed into a box or a corner and saying it's impossible to do that. Because if that was true, I would have never gotten anywhere in it. There's no way I do a thousand transactions a year for real estate investors in 30 states had I not had a mindset like that. Right. No, totally. I love that. Asking why and asking questions too, just in general. Most people are like, oh, no, I'll just figure it out. And it's like, no, no, no. Ask those questions. Like, had you not asked that why, you would have been like, oh, yeah, sorry, loan loan didn't get approved. Like, And that's the most common thing. Like, well, yeah. they said no. Well, why did they say no? Well, I don't know. Were you not going to ask why they said no? Well, no, they just said no. There's got to be a reason for it. And a lot of times the people saying no, they didn't even know why they're saying no. How they don't even understand what a no and a yes is in that side of the world. So I've had to build a system. In fact, my the reason my system works really, really well, I have 22 staff members to do what just the business I come in, I bring in. 
Uh, and I was standing in Chipotle again, 2014 seemed to be a hell of a year for me because 2014, I'm standing in a Chipotle line and it's out the door in Arizona. And it just sucks standing in a line outdoor, out the door. But that's what my one staff member wanted was Chipotle. So I'm getting it. And as I'm standing inside the door, finally getting some AC, I'm counting the heads behind the counter. I noticed there's 11 people back there, aside from the four or five you see, but there's more in the back. And there's all these people. I kind of said, why do they need 11 people to be successful at burrito construction? That doesn't make sense to me. So I started looking at everybody's job and seeing how they're how they're interacting, how they're doing. There's nobody stumbling all over each other. And the customer never interacts with one person twice. They have a different person at different stages. You don't have just a single point of contact. Like hmm. I need to build that. So I built that and I duplicated that system with the lending space to where now I can have a client go through an assembly line process and everybody from the initial phone call to the funding is all on my team. They're not going to different departments. I'm not interacting with somebody else's philosophy on how business works. I don't have department heads fighting with each other. I don't have to deal with silos in corporation in corporate America. It's all on my team. This one assembly line and all came from standing in the line at Chipotle. The answers to every question that's floating around us, you just got to open your damn eyes. And the one thing that people fail to do is realize you, know, you can never find the answer if you don't ask the question. Mm hmm. When you open up your mind enough to ask, ask the question, all of a sudden the answers start to flood in. And one of the reasons that one of the things I really found that works well with that is just stepping on a stage being me. When they when people see on the, the, the program or the description of what's going on at this event that a real estate investment finance expert is there to speak as a keynote speaker, they have an automatic idea in their mind of what they're going to see. And mm -hmm. then that steps on stage and they got to take a look back and say, this is, is this the right one. Because yep. what they see does not correspond with what they saw in their head. So they ask a question now is, what the hell is he doing up there? And what does he have to share? I automatically took control of that entire audience because they all simultaneously asked one question. How the hell is Aaron going to relate to this? Mm. Now to listen and get the answer. Yes. I love that, Aaron. I love that. And I mean, and I love that you took the Chipotle assembly line for your business, which is super cool. And that's going to be my next question for you was, you know, you work with a lot of real estate investors. And when it comes to lending, this is like the biggest question mark that anyone who wants to get started in real estate or start investing in real estate asks is like, you know, like what, are, what's like your best piece of advice for anyone that's looking for a mortgage or looking to invest in real estate from your perspective? Best I could possibly offer to anybody is, uh, well, there's three things. If you're going to invest in real estate. You really have three things you have to focus on. You're the CEO of your real estate investment business. Number one, you have to absolutely pick the right people to work with. Too often people go around, they shop for a lender based upon interest rates. Interest rates come from all, from, they all come from the same source. We're all going to be pretty close to each other. You got to find people that are going to help you become successful at what you do. And that's my goal is to ensure the success of my client. I give them tools and stuff that nobody else has. And if you call me, I'll share with you how. Then the other is you got to buy the right business, right? So the right property you can keep reasonably rented for the entire time you own it and you can raise rents on. Just by that alone, leveraging it for 30 years with the right lender and then picking the right property that stays reasonably rented the entire time you own it and raise rents, you are literally increasing your initial investment by 10.25% every year just by having somebody in there paying off the note. That's it. That's no cash flow. That's not talking about appreciation. That's not talking about tax benefits. That's not talking about any of that. That's just the amortizing note. If that's your baseline, a 10.25% increase year in, in, of the original investment at 20% down, everything else is gravy. The problem is, is we have a real estate industry that sells investment real estate that has 
totally focused in on the cash on cash return metric for the last 15 years or 13 years. And nobody can achieve what they used to do because interest rates are where they are. Interest mm -hmm. rates matter. Interest rates have been higher than uh, one to one and a half percent higher than where they are today for the majority of history. We only had right. a small window of time it was lower, and that was what the Fed created quantitative easing, quantitative easing, and that's gone. That's never coming back. If somebody ever tells you get a short-term instrument like an arm or a balloon note and just refinance when the rates go down, have no idea what the hell they're doing. They've not been in the business long enough to see what's going to happen or what could happen, and they're steering you into a wall at full speed because they don't care about you. They care about you closing that deal and them getting paid, not what's going to happen to you in your future. You know, the 30 year fixed, in my opinion, is the greatest instrument in history. In fact, Warren Buffett himself said it's the greatest financial instrument ever conceived. <clears throat> and he said it's because it's a one way bet. If you're wrong and the rates go down, you just refi. If you're right and the rates continue to go up, then yep. you're yourself against that increasing cost. His partner, Charlie Munger, says that we've seen 40 years of declining interest rates. It's his belief we're going to see 40 years of inclining interest rates. You lock it in now, you protect it now, because that will be a huge asset for you. And because of inflation, you're never going to pay back the, what you borrowed anyway, because the dollar's devaluing so fast that over 30 years, you pay back less than what you borrowed. And if you don't believe me, reach out to me, AaronChapman.com. I've got an app that you can download and I'll prove it to you. I'm the only guy in the industry with it. I'm the only guy in the world with it. You know what I love about you, Aaron? Is like, you're so real with it and raw with it, you know? And, and that's the God on the truth. Like a dollar today is very different than a dollar 20 years ago. And that had more weight at that time, you know? And I mean, here, let me illustrate that one. 22 years old, I could drive, walk into a Taco Bell and get two bean burritos and two tacos and a drink for $1.99 off their value menu. I drove through a uh, drive through the other day with my daughter, 16 years old. She wanted that exact same thing. You know what it cost me? 15 bucks. And you can't tell me that the Taco Bell ingredients got that special in that period of time. No. What we're paying for it with has lost that much value in that window of time. I totally agree. I totally agree. Oh, my gosh. Aaron, and this is going to be one of my favorite questions because I just love your story. So I can't wait to see what you say about <laughs> this. But like, this is legit my favorite. And this could be business, personal, whatever. But what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I would have kicked the piss out of me to start picking up books earlier, start listening to people say you can create your future earlier, you can write your goals, you can write that stuff down. I didn't start that stuff till I was 40. You know, and I picked up some amazing, amazing books. My favorite book in the whole world right here, it sits with me, The Master Key System. It's mm. traveling me everywhere. It's so beat up. I've taken this hunting in Alaska, hunting in New Zealand. I've taken the mountains all over the place. It's marked up, it's beat up. This thing is a correspondence course from 1910 that teaches you how to train your focus. I'm not even remotely trained on how to focus the way I could have been, but this has changed everything and it changes every life that I ever put it in front of. I've written books since then, uh, since 40. All these things have happened because I finally paid attention. Had I gone back to somebody told me and sat me down and beat it into me when I was, when I was 10, 12, 15, 18 years old, I don't know where I would be. But I'm just very, very glad that I'm where I'm at now. And it's my opinion that arriving late is just on time. You're going to get there when you're ready to get there. And you're not capable of getting there anytime sooner. So be patient, learn the learn what you can and focus your mind on what is benefiting you and create that future. And the other thing is don't take from anybody. Don't take from a single soul. You see somebody who's weaker, you help them. You don't take from them. That when you're, you're into any sort of enterprise, everybody has to win from it. I'm so sick of everybody deciding that everybody else owes them something to make right. it, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to market 
I'm going to get business, but you're going to pay me a little bit if I refer you. No, you refer me because I'm the best at what I do. I refer you because you're the best at what you do. Everybody is the best at what they do. And we all win. But if you're trying to take from everybody, you're going to get nothing. I absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. There's this crazy sense of entitlement that comes with success sometimes that some people carry along. And it's like, do you forget where you started? It's, it's, I totally agree with you. Help them out, lift them up. A rising tide should raise all ships. And that's you walk a razor's edge of failure all the time. It, it can happen to any of us if you're stepping in the wrong spot. Get to yeah. shrink your damn head and get focused. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Aaron, in, in your world, what's up in like the next few months? Like, what's going on in your realm? Oh, man. I, I, I live my days minute by minute by what my calendar says I got to do next. I do know coming up at the end of the year, I do have a, a another a fishing trip in Panama. And the next year, I'm a hunter. And, I love to hunt and fish. That's what that's what I love to do. I just got back from New Zealand on a big hunt. I'd love to go to Alaska. We're planning another moose hunt in Alaska. I've got, I've got my first grandkid. So I get to see her grow. She lives right next door. So I get to see her all the time. Seven, eight months old now. It's just it's it's a completely different world than it was just a year ago. My world continues to change. I'm always eager to see what the next day is going to bring. I love that, Aaron. I love that. And I'm my gosh, like the amount of wisdom, the nuggets, everything you've dropped through this entire interview. Thank you so much. Even I'm like here, like rethinking things. I'm like, dang, I got to read that book, Masterpieces. So I got to take some notes here with Aaron. My gosh, no, thank you so much, Aaron. Now everyone's got to know where to find you and your awesomeness. I said AaronChapman.com. Yeah, I've got a YouTube show that you can go to the media section on there. You can subscribe to that. I, I send out, started with the pandemic. I send out twice a week a breakdown of what's happening in the, in the market and the economy and how that affects you as the real estate investor. Just go there. You can just search me on at Aaron Chapman, but the easiest is just find it on my, on my uh, website. Subscribe to that. I'll just keep updating you. And it's from a real perspective. And what's funny is there's just these last few weeks, the experts are saying one thing. I've been saying the exact opposite and my opposite is accurate. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm smarter than these guys at all. They're way better educated, but it's just, you're seeing how the world's working. There's too many people trying to blow sunshines and rainbows up your ass, but doesn't, that's not there. You got to be prepared for anything that's going to occur and just get the right people to come with you. And we're all going to have a damn good time. We're all going to be successful. It's just all a matter of where you start here. Hell yes, Aaron. Hell yes. And I love that you do that. So twice a week, you break down the market and what's happening in Aaron terms, which I like, because I know that that's going to be the truth and <laughs> honest. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, um, yeah. And you'll see it's, it's definitely, uh, in Aaron terms, I had one, two episodes ago called just the tip. So, and that's actually kind of taken off. So yeah, uh, you'll see what I mean by that when you have to look it up. Oh my God, Aaron, you are so awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Your wisdom, just everything, man. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you allowing me to come on and talk to your audience. I'd love to come back when we got, uh, another book in the works. It's going to release here. I'm not sure probably within the next year it's written, I'm waiting on the artwork. It's going to be ridiculous. I'd love to come back on and really push the book. There's four books already out there. They're small ones. They're, they're like just chapters that are released with their own cover, but this one's coming. It's going to be big. And it's going to be awesome. You are awesome, Aaron. I can't wait to hear all about that. You've got to keep us posted as that comes closer for sure. Thank Definitely. Thank you so much, Aaron. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love.
Working like some underdogs. underdogs.